This show is part of the Darkmore Podcast Network. To join our community Discord or see more content from our members, visit darkmorepodcasts.com. Yessi, and I play Grimton Steadyhand, a fighter, paladin of Bahamut, special engineer of the Pandominion, and revolutionary in the Red Caves. And this is Advantage. I know that I know that Joe wants to play Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, I really do, Steven. Can, can we can we have a moment of appreciation for the? Can we clap sync? Yeah, yeah. let's do that. <laughs> One, <laughs> two, three, clap. Thank you. Okay, continue. Can we have a moment of appreciation for the uh, helicopter flight that took place on Mars? Woo-hoo! Small amount of applause yeah. for that. Yeah, so cool. 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 We're we doing what? Where? We, We're flying helicopters on Mars now, bud. Yeah. yeah, they have like a little drony drone. It's the year 2021. A little drone flew itself on Mars. Nice. It was programmed. It wasn't like an RC. The signal's not fast enough to like be real time. Interesting. Yeah, so everything that it does, it either is like AI basically, or like somebody put in the commands and then said a prayer and sent like it. Like pre-programmed <laughs> yeah. them and like really crossed their fingers. And then, and Sarah it, being the science communicator. And it's like a- Hey, Sarah, have you considered a job <laughs> as a science communicator? <laughs> <laughs> I hear NASA's you know, looking Oh, I learned yeah, that from know. the science communicator. <laughs> you just take what the science communicator tells you and you just tell it to other people. Yeah. Hey, I got science that we need to go let's, through actually. Let's do for the this, science. Uh, Good segue. All right, so uh, this is some technical business that I didn't really want to waste a bunch of airtime on, but it's important for me to lay out. Uh, Y'all agreed to send Inchel and SRA back to the Weaver School, which just leaves the four of you, plus Maylen on Arvindor. This forced me to figure out the mechanics of how the actual portal works. And to sum that up, traveling through the portal moves the portal cloth with you. For example, Going through all at one time isn't an issue, but if you formed a line and tried to do it one at a time, whoever is second in line will watch the portal cloth disappear in front of them and they just be shit out of luck, right? So when SRA and Inchel traveled from Arvindor back to the Weaver School, they also took the cloth with them, leaving you stranded in the Astral Sea. We're going to say that SRA realized what had happened, came back to collect you all, so brought you all back to the natural world um, through the cusp. Then all of you went back through the portal again, back to Arvindor. So you all came back through the portal together, presumably told the professors and students and Mama Geldream about uh, where it took you and like that, that you're keeping your current mission under wraps and all that, which I admit would be really interesting scene to play out, but I don't wanna, I just wanna get this thing moving. Got it. Um, so then you traveled back to Arvindor, it's just the four of you and Maylen. Portal is where you came through the first time, hidden in the reflecting pool outside the palace of Nath Celadre. Got it. Got it. Got it. Cool. <laughs> and guys, just because it's been a minute. Yeah. L- what happened last time we recorded? Last last time, we went back to the Azure Keep and went back to the Weaver School. 
uh, and got and went to the top of the tower of the observatory and there was a class taking place and a bunch of professors showed up to watch our science experiment. <laughs> we performed the science experiment, our magic experiment, if you will, uh, to open a portal, which we had no idea where it would take us, but we went through it anyway. Uh, and it wound up taking us to the Celadrim Bow, mm-hmm. Arvindor, yep. which is the domain of Corallon, um, the creator of the elves and the god of the arcane. We met Corallon. We had a conversation with them, resulting in them telling us about their problem of trying to help solve the great scuffle (laughs) and us then volunteering to help them with their plan by taking a large arcane battery back to the material plane with us and absorbing the magical energy of the god blinder and then using that magical battery to do something. Something yet undefined, but trying to keep it out of the hands of, of Empress Vermana. Out of the hands of the Pandominion, out of the hands of any sort of state, and in the hands of people. The big battery is currently in, is it Bahamut's realm or? It is Bahamut's realm, but it's also Kord's realm and Moradin's realm. Yeah. Uh, it's the astral dominion of Celestia. We are going to go with them and yeet ourselves across the astral sea and then get the battery ourselves and bring it back. I will never understand how Zack always remembers everything. Yeah, especially when that episode has not come out yet. So, well done. The five of you stand on the deck of the Old Quarrel, an ironclad astral ship sent from the astral dominion of Celestia, home to the gods Kord, Moradin, and Bahamut. This particular expedition is primarily crewed by draconic beings, the exalted of Bahamut, though Morden's dwarves are certainly a notable presence. The old coral is an astral zebek with long overhanging bowsprit and aft set mizzenmast. The three masts hang triangular lanteen sails accompanied by a whole host of sails set off the side of the hulls to catch the winds. One of those spars roosts a fierce, bronze dragon who looks calm. The ship's head, Captain Devine, stands with you on the quarterdeck. He gives a straightforward instruction to the mission specialist. Mr. Zenfrain, get us underway. Who then relays that command to the pilot and sail engineer, telling the crew to take in the lines and lower the foresail. The ship's bow slowly begins to point out away from the wharf. You look out into the bay, a glistening purple-gray sea of glitter reflecting a pink sky. Your spirit of adventure and excitement is peaked. The wind is alive with potential. The pilot nods to the sail engineer, who gives commands to lower the mizzen and mainsails to half. You watch Corallon's palace of Nath Celadre get farther away. You can see the other shimmering realms of the Celadrin Bro peek from behind Arvindor. Telferis and Arborea, and finally the cobwebs. You watch the long, overhung bowsprit pass through a veil, which washes over the ship. It seems to cling to your face for a moment, and you blink. And when you open your eyes, you're in the open astral sea. The pilot gives instructions to clue up the sails, and slowly the silvery waves begin to rock the old coral. All hands wait at the ready. Mr. Zenfrain, the mission specialist, consults his charts and compass. He points up to a golden star in the sky, Celestia. 
He gives the bearing to the pilot, who cranks the helm starboard and commands the sail engineer to bring the mizzen sail to half. The old coral groans and begins to yaw, stopping when Celestia is in line with the ship. Mr. Zanfrain brings his quadrant to eye to gauge the altitude of Celestia and gives the pilot another command. You hear a whir of an unseen arcane mechanism, and a ship groans once more. You're thrown off balance a bit, and the astral waves slosh against the hull, and you watch as the entire cosmos seems to roll forward, bringing Celestia to bear along with your ship's horizon. Everybody give me arcana checks, please. Joe, did did you know anything about sailing, like, substantively before you prepared for this episode? Yes. Oh. I got a 10. Nat 20. Okay. Mine was 5. Nat 20. Dang, y'all. For those of you who did well, you know that the ship did not realign the cosmos, but realigned its own pitch, which in relativity merely appeared as though the entire plane was shifting. I have have a question about this because I was trying to, this is an imagination question. I have no trouble with sails in space because I like Treasure Planet. Um, (laughs) But when I look over the side of this boat, do I see the cosmos? Or you said silver waves. That almost made me imagine like an actual like proper sea that we can't, it's not like. Half and half. So picture stardust laying on the top of an ocean of unseen waves, like unseen waters. But there's there's something there that the ship is right. resting on. So right? then, so then when we like yawed, when you changed pitch, that means that the ship was literally changing the sea's horizon. Okay, that was all right. Yeah. Cool. So like it it is bending the minimal area that you are in, mm-hmm. like with it. So to to our eyes, it would have just looked like the horizon like moved essentially like yes. that like as like if we were looking for instance at the sun in the sky and a normal day it would look like the sun was like all right i'm gonna move down a little bit now precisely so okay are we so we're sailing in a three-dimensional plane yes so like as opposed to normal sailing where you're just on water right right yeah so we can go up and down as opposed to just forwards and backward or you know or around yes it's difficult then like like for instance if we're in a harbor ships are just going everywhere right <laughs> no 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 just okay hey, have carry with you all these questions <laughs> there will be a time to ask them and a place to okay. ask them dang it because <laughs> i have one okay <laughs> Mr. Zanfrain nods to the sail engineer, who commands, All sails look go and hauled trim! And the ship gets underway. Commander Devine is a silver-scaled dragonborn with a toothy look. The five of you are not to impede operation on my ship, but I will give you the courtesy of a tour. It's rare to have non-sailors aboard it, and I won't lie and say it doesn't bring me pleasure to show it off. I have a question, I say to the person. Yes? Are there tsunamis? Yes. How does that work? Because, <laughs> like, those waves come across flat on the cusp, you know. How do you have tsunamis in a three-dimensional sea? Right. Have you ever seen a petard deployed? A grenade? Sure. If you've ever seen it, perhaps, underwater, you'll see that there's an explosion, and then 
the ripples from the explosive go out in all directions. It is not merely contained on a flat surface as if you were throwing a stone in the water, but it sends everything everywhere. Energy does not travel in a single plane, especially when material for the energy to travel through, or I guess immaterial as the case may be, disperses evenly in all directions. Second question. It's really a two-part question. One. Yes, ma'am. Pause. Ulrich takes a moment, thinks about whether or not it's worth the time and energy to correct their gender, accepts the feminization for now, and moves on. <laughs> One, what causes space tsunamis? And two, is there weather out here? <laughs> I'm sorry, Joe. You can you can just tell me to like Number two go, first. go f myself. Yes, there is weather, and yes, you do have to read it. There are currents in the astral sea that take. I, I'm sorry, it's very difficult to explain. Please note that I've been doing this job for at least a hundred years. Everything is so innate within me. My understanding it is, is not a teacher's understanding. It just is. There, there's, that's how to explain. Um, I have a question. Yes. Do you, do you happen to have maybe someone on the crew that could work as like a, like a sailing explainer, if you will? <laughs> like. Or the ship's master. Oh yeah. Okay. Mr. Zamfrain. I won't ask any more questions. The ship engineer, the bosun, is Mr. Coyle. Mr. Coyle. Mr. Coyle, as the sail engineer, is the one that is in charge of making sure all the crew and hands on deck execute the orders of Mr. Zanfrain. Zanfrain, being the ship's master, is the one that knows really all the ins and outs of this vessel and this vessel in particular. As the commander, I oversee much larger moments in this ship, not not the moment-to-moment, second-by-second sailing of it. You know, that that's another interesting thought that I hadn't thought about. Yes. Like, all ships are different, you know? Yes. Oh, yes. Like, a captain of one ship couldn't just go to another ship and know everything about it. This particular boat, the old quarrel is an astral Zebek. To try to sh- sail an astral Dow or an astral schooner or a clipper... Captaining is easy, but sailing it is hard. All right, last question. <laughs> this one's easy. Yes. This one's easy. It's not about space weather. Yes. Where'd the ship get its name? An old argument. And with that... Yeah, sufficiently mysterious. <laughs> I'm sold. Uh, you stand on the quarter deck, which is the highest position on the aftercastle, and you see the whole majesty of the ship under full sail. Devine begs, the old quarrel was built several decades ago, but has been kept to date with all the latest advancements in sailing the Astral Sea. She's slender, her lanteen sails allow us to sail close hold to the wind. She was designed for speed and maneuverability in mind, which is why she was selected for this diplomatic mission. We're carrying nothing of value, so we don't need to weigh ourselves down with arms and ballista. He takes you down the stairs to the main deck, the forecastle is where our hands sleep. We've got 20 crew on board, including officers. Officers are in the aftercastle. They include Mr. Zanfrain, the payload commander, Miss Josime, and myself. Junior officers, like the pilot and the ship's engineer, stay with the crew, <laughs> as would the tactical and payload specialists if we had them aboard on this mission. Commander Devine looks at you expecting a question now. Auric uh, appears completely oblivious and is just like smiling contentedly looking out at the space. No questions. This hatch between the main and foremast goes below deck. 
to the stern is the rudder room. Please don't open that door. It's extremely sensitive and it has critical arcane instruments with it. Like without the pitch aligner, we wouldn't be able to move our sailing horizon up or down and we'd force to work with only yaws and rolls. We'd be crippled. Neat! Where do you want us? Right, the rest <laughs> of this area is primarily storage and through that hatch is a safe room. And I see that that is where Mead Drinker and Vindrich are. You're free to wander the ship, but please stay out of the way of any active duty crew members. If we are intercepted on our journey, you are to stay below decks, batten down the hatch in the safe room, and stay quiet. I have a question, Joe. This is for Joe, though. Um, yes, um, Stephen, the player. I realize <laughs> that we're going to be in space, and like uh -huh. days aren't quite the same thing. I'll save my how do you track days in space question for Thank God for uh, somebody else. <laughs> um, but in terms of our like circadian rhythms. What time of day is it currently? Or like generally, like loosely, like morning, evening, like? Nearing dawn. Now I'd like to ask our tour guide, um, when's breakfast? Commander. Commander. <laughs> Commander, when's breakfast? Commander tour guide. <laughs> Commander tour guide, when's breakfast? I bat my eyelashes. You may address me as Commander Devine or not at all. Commander Devine, when is when is breakfast? Breakfast is served when the cook prepares the galley and the cook makes a meal. That is when breakfast is served. I'm sure the mission specialist, Zenfrain, would be happy to answer any further questions you have. <laughs> Let's go find him then. Enjoy your time aboard. Will do. Thank you. Zanfrain is the ship's master and is a brass dragonborn. The helms person, Mix Noville, is a, uh, a bronze dragonborn. So are these all people from where we're going? They all pre are presumably crewed from Celestia. Which would make sense because they brought people from Celestia over to, yeah. They're, so they're just returning home. And uh, what kind of people are from Celestia? Dragonborns, other folks like that? And dwarves. dwarves. And also Cord, but Cord doesn't have. <laughs> he wasn't into the creative process much. Uh, what domain does Grumsh reside in? Grumsh is at uh, Chernogger. That's the name. That's a cool name. Chernogger. It is. And I just immediately imagine a lot of radiation there because it sounds similar enough to Chernobyl in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> So you said you were looking for the mission specialist? Yeah, sure, why not? Let's ask more questions about <laughs> sailing in space. You come across him. When y'all climb the stairs up to the quarterdeck, Commander Devine <laughs> takes the stairs down. <laughs> <laughs> Not acknowledging you at all. He's, sees us coming and is like, nope, and just goes he, yeah, the he, he was excited. He was originally <laughs> very excited to show off the ship and then realized what he had gotten himself into. And <laughs> oh, I'm so here for this. So how long is this journey supposed to take? Like several days? Oh, just like two days. Two days? Okay, I couldn't remember. I'm mission specialist Zanfrain. It's a pleasure to meet you. Y'all are... What are uh, your roles? Uh, the Unknown Associates of Grimton Steadyhand. And remind me who Grimton Steadyhand is. I'm sorry. This is Grimton Steadyhand. Just right here. gesture at Grimton. That one. That's me. Yeah. 
Why would you name yourselves after the ugliest one? Excuse me. I'm just joking. Excuse I'm just kidding with you. I'm just kidding with you. I think he's handsome. He is handsome. He's oh, very handsome. You should have seen me 150 years ago. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. And I probably will. <laughs> Sorry, what was your question, ma'am? My question was just how long this was, but it's, uh, you said it was two days, so. That's yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, it roughly correlates to, uh, Two days two on the cusp. Days. What are five cusp people doing in the astral plane? Yeah, that's a good question. So, <laughs> do you, are you familiar with <laughs> side quests? I've I've heard of them. Yes. Is this is this a fetch quest for you? Like, is this? Yeah, sort of. I'm not. I'm not okay. sure anymore. <laughs> well. I'll, we'll it's, just leave it at it, side quest. It then. started out feeling like a side quest, and now it feels like a main well, quest. Like everyone um, that we do kind of ends up feeling that way. That's true, and really, honestly, every side quest should, in some way, tie into the main quest. So I get it. We don't all have to be Todd Howard about it, um, and <laughs> have them completely unrelated. Like it, it does need to all be leading up to something. What uh, I guess my question is: Is it dangerous out here on the open sea? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh hell yeah! Are there space mer people? Uh, not quite. To answer both of your questions at once, there are of course creatures native to these astral waters that like swim the open seas between dominions um, unharmed. For those of us who are indigenous to dominions, like myself, I, I am native to Celestia. The arcana of the open sea would cause us great harm. So you can't swim. Wait. Yes? When you say indigenous to the dominions, do you mean that you were, like, formed here? Yes. Like, you didn't yes. die and then come? Yes. Yeah, Alaris over there asking important questions. So, uh, which is to say, like, please please don't fall in. To answer your question about swimming, uh, you might be able to swim, but you will not be able to tread these waters in particular long enough to bring the ship about and pick you up alive. Okay. Uh, they will hurt <laughs> a bunch. All right, one more, one, more, one more question, and then I'll probably stop. Mm-hmm. So you know how, like, on the cusp, there's, like, seafood and, like, a fishing economy? I've never actually been to the cusp. But. Okay, well, on the cusp, where they sail flatly on water, there are fish and stuff that live in the water that people, like, get out and eat and stuff. So, like, does that... Uh, you said there are creatures that are native to the Astral Sea. Do you ever, like, deliberately collect them and then prepare them as meals? I mean, I'm, co I'm familiar with the concept of fishing. Okay, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how, like, what... <laughs> So wait. Continue. So, so I, I I do have one question though. Well, How, hold on. I'm answering this young woman's question first. Despite the fact that I'm being misgendered, this is the direction, at least at present, that Arik prefers to be misgendered in. Uh, like if they're going to accidentally be assumed for the binary, it bring it it doesn't really bother them to be assumed. Uh, female as it does the other way around. In fact, they they feel a small amount of like euphoria at the fact that they like present feminine enough to be read that way. Uh, so to answer your question, yes, I am familiar with the concept of fishing in general, uh, and that normally just takes place within the waters of dominions, not on mm. the open astral sea. So that like, makes sense. Is there deep sea fishing? No. Could you sit on a wharf off the coast of Arvindor and <laughs> cast a line into the water and come up with something? Yeah. Awesome. I'm satisfied. Thank you. 
so I can imagine sailing on the cusp in mm. water, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we we have changed directions to change our heading, right, on a plane. Um, so now we we're have going changed horizon. Yes. Yeah, like perpendicular, basically, to where we were when we started off. Large interdominion vessels like the old coral bend the astral sea to its heading. Like we force the sea to part below us, which creates this like bubble of safety on deck. The open astral sea is a strange place and it's really difficult to understand. But like as we sail the ship towards its bearing, we manipulate the immediate space around us to give us something okay, to float so, on. Right. So so you're saying that we create like a like a bubble around this ship in particular and change yes. the plane for that. Okay, that makes more exactly. sense. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah, yeah. we're not we're not bending the entire cosmos. Right. Yeah. Well, I was I was more imagining it like levels, I guess. We're like we're just floating through a, a three-dimensional space, but it does make sense more that you have taken that space and just condensed it down to just the ship and that is what is basically right. changing and and moving through. Large things. arcane fleets like the ones that Cord has docked on his wharves, like they will with all the collective magic that they can have, they could bend in a very 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 powerful amount of the astral sea to their horizon but with a single ship like this no it wouldn't it wouldn't fly it's kind of the same thing as like what the astral dominions have around them but like small precisely and you know you asked about creatures that swim out here and like fishing and stuff well there are also powerful creatures able to fly uh, though most are magically tethered to their own interdominion vessels in order to work off of that same astral horizon to fly above. Uh, for example, Githyanki ships will frequently use uh, like a red dragon for boarding, which is why Bahamut uh, actually has assigned uh, Uthleach as our guardian. Zenfrain points out to the bronze dragon who's sitting perched. So does Bahamut like metallic dragonborn more? Yeah, dude. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. I was just making sure. So then would chromatic be Tiamat? Yeah. Yeah. So for, you know how I mentioned that the Githyanki have red dragons that they use? Yeah. Well, so it's said that long, long ago when the Githyanki first moved to the Astral Sea, um, that they like sought allegiance with Tiamat. The leader did not return from the Nine Hells, but Tiamat did send a contingent of red dragons to serve them. Sure. Well, uh, I mean, the the Nine Hills are up here, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a whole constellation. You can see them over there. Zenfrain, like, points off to a selection of, like, red-tinted stars. Right. So that's where we don't want to go. Y- you can see that we're not pointed over there. Right, obviously. <laughs> we're pointed at that, that nice gold one. We're, we're sailing along, right? So what does this look like? Can can we see the edge of our little sphere of uh, whatever I, you know what I mean? Like is yes, like it's it's a far enough distance away. Like it's a hundred yards out in front of you that it's bending, based off of what Zinfrain had told you about flying beasts being tied to their ship. You could you could probably guess that like if the dragon Uthleach was to fly off the boat like it would carry some of that horizon with it mm-hmm. but right now it's only like 100 yards out in hey, front of oh, the wow. other direction you said that kind of cord has giant fleets of ship that could bend 
massive amounts of the space around them, right? Mm-hmm. So they can, like, warp. They can, like, achieve warp speed? Uh... Is that not... Is, have they not evolved yet? I'm not to, sure what warp speed means. Faster than light. See, the way... Because you can kind of, like, bend the space around the ship to allow us to fly in different... To, you know, change its axis. But you can't shrink... Uh, yeah. You can't fold the space in front of it. L- listen, l- okay, so the way... <laughs> The ship catches astral winds that enter our horizon as we part the waters. Like right now, our charts indicate that the direction of the prevailing winds are move in the same direction as the vessel. So right now, you can see that we're running down wind, so our sails are full. Well, you know, gauging it now, looking at the sails, I would say that we ought to arrive shortly, like maybe 12 hours. Wow. Traveling back from Celestia to the Seldrindro sets the ship nearly in irons. So we've got to take a wider tack, which is why it would normally take like two days. You know, thank goodness the old coral is rigged with a lantern sail plan. So we're able to sail pretty close hold if need be, uh, though it's not ideal. So as we part the sea, wind is coming in to push our ship. We are sailing in the classic sense, if I'm understanding uh, correctly, the cuspel books that I have read. So, Joe, the way I'm imagining this, like, looking to any of us standing there, is basically if you took, like, you know, like a video of somebody sailing, green screened out the water to look like stars so that you could still see the, like, edge of the waves, like, uh, and creating foam, like, hitting the side, and it looks like we're sailing... But if you mm-hmm. look too far past that, it just looks like space. That's kind yes. of how I'm imagining it. I and mean, then, like, maybe like a thin veneer of light around you that you yeah. can see past is uh, like darkness. Yeah, um, that's totally, that's... totally, totally okay. right. Okay. Hey friends, it's Joe. So glad you're here with us for episode 2.50. I can't believe that we're 50 episodes into arc two. When I was storyboarding the quest line for this arc, I didn't at all foresee the Unknown Associates ever leaving the cusp. But here we are, flying on a celestial Zebek through the Astral Sea to receive an arcane battery built by the Dwarf Father Morden. Arc one was only 50 episodes long, which at the time I thought was a lot, but with greater tiers of conflict comes wilder, more intense plot. Our sponsors for this episode include Dark Silver Forge, which you know make incredible zinc alloy die sets and other TTRPG gear. Uh, the D20 is five and a half times heavier than your standard plastic die, and I love mine. Each member of the cast rolls bones with Dark Silver, and you can get your own by going to darksilverforge.com and using the code ADVANTAGEDND all caps, no spaces, to receive 10% off your order. Our second sponsor is Cosmic Blues Minis, which print and paint custom STL files. You can get your hands on all those tabletop miniatures you have saved on Hero Forge. Find Cosmic Blues Minis on Etsy or follow them at Cosmic Blues Miniatures on Instagram and use the code ADVANTAGEDND, all caps, no spaces, to receive 15% off your order. Their current projects include printing and painting all the Advantage player characters, updates of which are being posted on our Patreon Secrets Discord channel. I'm so excited to see Auric, Morlinde, Alaris, and Grimton all manifest into physical form. 
If you want to get in touch with us, our handle for all social media is at AdvantageDnD. Uh, that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Pinterest, everything. Um, thank you to all the people who have left reviews on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Uh, except our nemesis, Electronic Lover, who has once again re-re-re-re-re-submitted their one-star review for like the sixth time, trying to ensure that it's always the first thing that new people see. Previous iterations of the review have been directly, blatantly queerphobic. Now, their review says, quote, They approach some pretty degraded and disgusting relationship and sexual topics like they're normal or okay. Do us a favor, help us drown out that review and positivity. You can also resubmit your five-star reviews to uh, help do that. Thank you. If you need a link to the Darkmore Podcast Network's Discord channel, you can find one down in the doobly-doo. Uh, you can easily find Advantage and all our other member shows like The Misadventures, Fun But Why, How Friends Roll, and DM Shower Thoughts, all of whom are wonderful companions of ours. Our friends playing out of character just released the first episodes of their second season. Be wary, we have good company. Oh, there's webs everywhere in this sewer. Yeah, but there weren't webs there when I left the sewer, so these are new webs, which means the skittering ones are nearby. Show some respect. If you left, you went the opposite way, so you might not have seen the webs on on the on your way out. Well, whether or not I went in one direction or the other, I would have seen cobwebs. You forget yourself, Terry. You forget yourself. You're speaking to your future king, you know. This this loser thinks he's king. Well, if I may. <laughs> What evidence do you have that this, the, 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 the skittery ones are coming close? Well, I was like, I hear, I heard it, I saw it. I'm not crazy here. Okay, so you just, there's webs. I didn't see that there wasn't a web before. Listen, there's webs and there's sounds, and maybe if those two are separate, it wouldn't be a big deal. But when you put the two together, you gotta think they're spiders. Now, am I alone in this here? I think he's got a point. Well... We'll see if there are any spiders. Well, how about this, Terry? Why don't you go first? Playing out of character, season two, downfall. All right, let's get back to the show. Thank you. We'll need to actually roll 54 degrees port before entering Celestia. Mr. Zinfrain, like, points out his navigational charts, which are indecipherably complex. (laughs) Celestia and the bow aren't on the same horizon. Our heading is true, you can see, but without rolling ours to match Celestia's, we're going to capsize the vessel when we cross the veil. There's plenty of time to do that, but, you know, we might as well do that now while we know the wind is good. I have a question for you. This is is less of, like, an explanation. Can you just, like, let me know when we're approaching? I just want to watch. Yes. Okay. Then Zanfrains shouts to the pilot and sail engineer, Mixnoville, Mr. Coyle, roll us 55 degrees larboard. You watch uh, Mixnoville reference a gyroscopic instrument of some sort cool. uh, upon which is displayed a crosshair for vertical and horizontal reference. They turn a dial around on the instrument's display to 305 degrees and then lock it in. Uh, everybody give me survival rolls, please. <laughs> I'm so this. Yes, I'm having a blast. What the hell's up with my rolling, That's, though? That's uh, a not natural 20. Survival roll? Six. Six. Fifteen. Six, six. 
six. Like the single digit? Like single digit six. I'm telling you, I've only had two bad rolls. Jesse, you were rubbing your eyes. I could have failed. <laughs> so Ulrich and Alaris, you quickly deduce that 360 degrees minus 55 degrees equals that 305 degrees. Uh, like if you were looking at a compass on the cusp, it would be like setting your dial northwest-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, Mixnoville places their left hand on a lever next to the helm and then looks up to Mr. Coyle. Uh, Coyle has his crew stationed on the spars reaching out from the main deck. They've unfurled the sails, which now luffed in the wind. The, the lines on the sails, which are called sheets, are held ready by the crewmen, ready to be hauled. Coyle makes eye contact with the pilot, raises his hands high, and then gives a shouting command for all lines to be pulled, and then brings his hands down. And at that instant, Mixnoville pulls the lever and spins the ship's wheel counterclockwise, and the ship heals larboard. And you feel a dizziness suddenly as the stars spin around you with Celestia in front as its center point. Noville is gripping the helm and watching the crosshair of the dial make its way round to 305 degrees. They ease back on the wheel as the crosshairs get close to their orienting arrow so that the wheel is centered perfectly when it hits its mark. Noville raises the lever, then signals to Coil, who commands the crew to belay the lines to their cleats. So do y'all understand what just happened? Vaguely. Did we just like flip all the way over? Yeah, they, they turned. Not so that we would go a different direction or a different heading, but... The horizon uh, changed. The like, horizon changed and is as if you were... Yeah, so like we're looking at a clock and we, we turned from 12 o'clock to like... Nine o'clock. Oh! Uh, long exposure. It's like stopping. when you see the the movement of the oh. heavens. Like yes. our plane, we didn't we didn't change like left or right across the sea or right. up or down necessarily. Yeah. We changed we, around. We yeah. rolled. Right. So that so that our horizon went yeet and and just just moved itself. Uh, it didn't look like that to us, but that's what happened. So look at the picture that I just posted in uh, Patron Secrets, and you'll see a yeah. long exposure that's kind of what we... shot of the stars. With Apparently this one is from Australia, so it's probably... It's like a triad of stars, right? Like they, It is. But like that's what you saw with the center point being Celestia. Uh, which is located like right at your horizon. So Mr. Zanfrain told you that they needed to roll so that Celestia and the bow are not at the same horizon. So they needed to roll to match the angle of Celestia. Rolling angle. Oh, okay. So I got it. So yeah. So basically like the Salger bow is one horizon and then mm-hmm. the way that this other star system or this star that we're going to, like it is at an angle to where we were. So they had to turn to an angle to get to the horizon of the new place. Exactly. So we're still yes. going. You're still going the same direction. The same direction, right same, same angle. But now we have shifted horizons to where we're now this way because that's the way that that 
plane yep. is so that when is you oriented. when you enter Celestia, you're not going to be like upside down and underwater or something, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Because um, okay. while we're out on the astral sea and kind of in free space with the way that the ship works, we can orient ourselves whatever direction we need to make sure that when we... When you enter an astral dominion, you're set to that astral dominion. Yeah. So if you enter right. with relative ship upside down, when you hit those, the dominion's waters, your ship's upside down. <laughs> yeah. Cause, yeah. Because if we, if we would have gone 55 degrees tilted the other way, the way we were... Then that would have been fifty-five degrees underwater, basically. Yes, it yeah. would have totally capsized the boat. Right. How does gravity work, like on this ship? Does it just have its own gravity? Gravity is not a factor. <laughs> okay. It's all about the horizon that you set yourself to. Sure. No. I, yeah, I was just talking about like we we just tilted ourselves, but we're still fine on the boat. Did we just pull G's? No, you did not just pull G's. Okay. Gravity is relative to the horizon that your ship is at. Sure. Gravity doesn't really exist outside of horizon just because, like, pretend that you're out in the ocean and, like, the deep, deep ocean, you can't see top, you can't see bottom, you're just surrounded by water, right? Mm -hmm. Other than the fact that you have air in your lungs and the air kind of pulls you up, like, there's not really gravity, right? Like, yeah. So I'm imagining like a ball of space and then we're just like on top of the ball um, and you can move the ship freely to different parts of the ball. Does that make sense? So like, for instance, we started at the top of the ball and then you moved it. We moved back onto the ball where we were pointing up and then we moved over on the ball like that. That's how I'm sort of imagining that's, it. That's in a interesting. 3D. That's an interesting Visual. That's I the thought opposite. That. Yeah, like what I imagined is if you think of a three-dimensional like Cartesian plane where you have an X, Y, Z axis, yeah. we're the we're the origin, and what we're turning is ourselves about an axis. So right. like, yeah, and that that's also turning like what is literally down for us and what is uh, what is perceptively down for us and perceptively up for us. So rather than being on the outside of a sphere, I'm imagining us being like the center point of a sphere with that axis in the middle. Sure, yeah. Which I mean, I think is kind of the same thing I'm going for. Yeah, yes. it's just a different way to, it's, a, it's an interesting way to approach it. Cause I like, when you were describing it, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. It's yeah. just, yeah. I, I was come at like from the it. other way. Right, yeah. it's, it's the same thing that I was describing, except for you're not, moving about a ball you're staying in one spot and you're just moving the ball right. around you yeah. yeah only in larger cities like delve deep havenmere or the azure keep does one ever battle substantial light pollution generally the sky is tremendously beautiful at night but here on the open seas of the astral plane above you are literally amongst the stars you move slowly past the astral dominions of gods in all directions, above, around, and below you. It's enchanting, but also disorienting. Key constellations that everybody can identify, like the Nine Hells and Hestavar, for example, are not where they normally are. You're used to viewing them from a fixed point on the cusp, so it's disorienting. It's difficult to tell where you are. Even looking at one of Zanfrain's star charts, which he's handed you, is unhelpful, as the larger bodies are crowded with the names of various shattered realms. You've never heard of Karsiri or Irishani or 
Calandarin or Arcanus or innumerous others. Above you, you see the cusp. It is lit in a cool white by a full moon. When you look back at the Selgin bow, you can only see a winking veil that separated the Dominion from the open seas. But looking at the cusp, you realize that there is no such veil. From as high as you are, you can make out its oceans and continents. You can easily identify the tundras of Kolgafir and the sandy wastes of defeat, which means that that patchy grass of green must be the Pandominion, and that dark green there must be the Watch Forest. Is, is that dark spot where the burn happened? Dang. Grimton, you can see the cloud-capped peaks of her dearth. Auric, you can too, thanks to the waypoint superimposed onto the cusp by Briston's sea glass ring. You see Sehanin and Pelor's greatest work, the orb that is the sun and moon, which they set together during the Dawn War. It travels east to west during the day and west to east at night. The orb dips below the horizon into the fog of the ether at each dusk and dawn, which creates the most beautiful sunsets and daybreaks of pink and orange. From your estimates, it must be nearing dawn at the cusp, as the moon is almost touching the ethereal fog over the warded ocean. You look at the fog and notice that it is dense near the end of the cusp, but stretches out infinitely into the darkness eventually disappearing into the astral haze. Ulrich is looking out over the expanse. Annoying questions aside, they are really enjoying the view, um, but that kind of unadulterated silent beauty has a way of making someone contemplative and so amongst the stars and points they see the sea glass point that represents my 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 one true love is <laughs> oh, is we're getting into love now huh well i don't know i i was being i was being melodramatic there a little bit um but represents briston it stands among those stars and yet stands out mm -hmm. uh, and has me thinking about the distance. It's interesting because it's a very like abstract kind of way. Uh, like it's not the same kind of like, oh, he's just over there. I miss him. It's like, man, I'm I'm in space. Like I am, I am far. This this is a journey. Uh, that that sea glass point seems to belong among the stars. <laughs> it's weird for Grimton to see everything that he's ever cared for and potentially like will ever care for, like really in all of existence, to be so small and like out of reach and distant. But like he's learning maybe how petty some of the squabbles are but how important they are nonetheless to him and to everyone that he cares about. It's a weird dichotomy. 
I think for Morlinde, she's just feeling uh, like like Grimton the the smallness of of herself, and then also of just like everything that they are, you know, encountering on the cusp. Even though like it is all really big, um, and it is all really important, and yet here we are, and it's and and looking at it at that teeny weeny size. I think Alaris at first was thinking about like all the questions and learning about all these new things, especially with Ulrich and asking the questions also. But after we've rotated and just kind of, you know, calmed down a little bit and started taking in our our, our like surroundings a bit more um, and looking up and seeing this, you know, the cusp and stuff, he kind of just takes a moment and just like stands back and, you know, like grabs Malin's hand and just kind of enjoys the view um, together with, with someone he cares about very deeply. Mei Lin, who has been silent pretty much this whole episode, this whole endeavor asking no questions, is captivated entirely by the wonder of the stars. And Alaris, I think that you can feel through the grip she has on your hand and on your arm that she is captivated entirely on the wonder of the universe in its connection to you and the significance that it is you who is showing this to her. That it is you with whom she is exploring and just kind of sharing the moment not necessarily anything that needs to be said i think it's just kind of an understood moment between the two of them Mm -hmm. The first part of that, where you were talking about all the nautical stuff, it was like that video where the guy is talking a bunch of science mumbo jumbo about this machine, but it's clearly a bunch of made up words. (laughs) Like I could follow the sentence and like generally do it, but those could have all been complete nonsense words and it would have made just as much sense to me. I actually like ran that script by Aaron to see like, does this correctly portray knowledge that there is something going on and somebody knows what something is doing and that 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 they are skilled in that something but do you feel sufficiently overwhelmed by not knowing the knowledge of those systems that like you're really hands off just just a small amount of applause for joe doing research like that like i I do have a question about sailing in general current currently 
Um, Wait, like real life sailing or sailing in the cusp? Well, or in the astral sea as well. I, I, am, I well, first I'm, I'm confused. I am interested in why they have like sail, like sail ships in the in the astral sea, um, and not Ask some around. sort of the huh? aesthetic. Ask around. Sure. Um, and then I guess I never really thought about like half mast. I guess mm-hmm. as opposed to full mast. And yeah. what is what? When do you use half? Is that just like whenever you're first starting to go slower? Um, it, yes. It, so the more, in, in simple terms, in sailing, the more fabric that you have exposed to the wind, the more wind is going to push into that fabric. Right. There's obviously, just more surface area. And if you're wanting to go slow, yeah. Whenever you take yeah. the mast up, is because the wind's blowing in the opposite direction, and you need to row or whatever. Yeah, um, or because you're trying to slow down and you're coming yeah. to the port, or in this case, like the old coral in this scene was coming away from the wharf mm-hmm. and like into presumably a populated bay of other ships. Right. And so you'd want to only be at half mass, so you're not going as fast while exactly. you're while you're going until you get to f- out into open waters. Precisely. And I also lowered only the uh, the foresail. The foresail is the uh, yeah. The front one. The front, yeah. Yeah, the not the not the main sail. Not the not the main sail, which is in the middle, or the yeah. mizzen sail, which is in the back. But the the foresail in the front, beca- and which would pull primarily the front of the, the bow ship. away yeah. from the wharf. Right. So it's and probably easier. Kind of you're going behind. Yeah, because it's a smaller sail, so you'd be going slower, and it's at yep. the front, so it makes it easier to turn. Yep. yep. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I do want to watch. That video that you sent in the oh, it's so cool. That's, oh, that video is so yeah. cool. I, I meant to oh, watch wait, it, what? and then I was just like, "This is really long for me right now," but I'm gonna watch it at some point. Oh, it's like a 30 minute video that I found on YouTube that explains how to sail a fully rigged ship, um, and it's done in this incredibly hokey like 1980s <laughs> fast food like. So you just got hired at McDonald's, sort of way. Um, <laughs> But, like, it also throws in uh, a bunch of jargon that you're totally not going to understand. But it, like, it easily displays the competence with which a commander is at the helm, right? And, like, knows how all this is going to happen and is just commanding people to do what needs to be done to make the ship actually work. Like how important a captain actually is, basically. Yeah. (laughs) So then here's the real question. When are we as an advantage cast going to purchase a sailboat and do this? <laughs> okay, here's a, here's a fun thing. My father's name is Mark Love. My last name is Love. That's for the audience, not for y'all. L-O-V-E, Love. One day, my father came to work, and uh, there was a new guy whose name was Mark Young, Y-O-U-N-G. And uh, Mark Young looked at my father, Mark Love, and said, We need to get you on my sailboat. We're gonna get you on my regatta team because my boat's name is the Young Love. Dang. And so that's how my father learned how to sail and race in regattas. (laughs) He was just like a hand, you know? He was a rope monkey and just pulled sails and did whatever and listened to Mark Young because he was the actual captain of the ship. But what a weird adventure that that would have been, right? Like, (laughs) yeah. Racing sailboats. So when are we going to get on a sailboat? Uh, I mean, I could. I think Mark Young right now is 
out in like the Puget Sound area, maybe the San Juan Islands. I'll take a week off to go sail. Wouldn't that be the coolest thing? Let's anyway. take a few months off and just go around the horn. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Which What's the horn? We're going around Cape Horn, boys. The bottom of South America. Oh, okay. I was trying to figure out if it was... Notably cool. tumultuous waters. The horn around <laughs> Africa is a cape a of good of hope. geographic knowledge that I do not have. <laughs> Okay, Erin the other day, like, literally posted her desire to hold a geography bee as a uh, house party theme. That does sound pretty fun. It would be embarrassing. It does sound pretty fun, though, huh? Uh, I'll read the question. Nicole and I recently, like, printed off maps of the U.S. and made ourselves, like, label all the states and then proceeded with, like, Europe. (laughs) And that was far worse at Europe. (laughs) <laughs> so last semester we had an intern and we did that just for funsies we, we were talking about estates and capitals test and like alright here's a blank map and we all did it and honestly it was abysmal especially the capitals <laughs> like, I can get, capitals like, are really difficult capitals are hard capitals. I can get all the states yeah. no problem yeah. no I states, could not do the states not I could... did not even succeed at half like it was incredibly <laughs> embarrassing hey let's play D&D more I could yeah. get like a 90 plus percent Let's play D&D. Okay. So you all just rolled arcana checks. Are there, are there five of us? You, you say, uh, not thinking about Maylin, who's standing there She's literally, literally right here. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Babe! Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You could, Steven, the player here, you could, you could do a whole campaign. I, I'm so intrigued, because, like, the same kid that grew up like the same kid that went to space camp in fourth grade grew up and became the adult that's currently playing D and D with you. So like, you I went to space camp. I went to space camp twice actually. Oh that's a dream, um, honestly. No, it's every bit as cool as you think it is. Oh my god. We had a a space camp that was just sponsored by the school that everyone went to for like a week. They just like hosted. Oh god. That's yeah. My my science teacher took a group of kids. To space camp and it was a blast oh i had a good God. time i loved it but like I saw it in boys life every month when my boys life i just come. gotta tell you there was a part of me that almost became an aerospace engineer rather than a music teacher and so like you should have done it steven you should have uh, maybe but like here we are and i'm as excited at the like the prospect of this like i i have a lot more questions that i would love to ask that i realize are probably unreasonable and would take an entire <laughs> episode. So I'm Maybe like, these are things you can and like I, Google Docs. I, yeah, I love space I like, travel. Like, I do like the idea of an entire episode of us just asking this engineer question. Like, we're just no, asking. It, I, I literally like went in and. and to do the research and create how this vessel works so that y'all could ask questions about it. Like, like I'm thrilled that y'all have. Okay, like, then we let just me go ask... let my cat in and I'll be right like, back and I will pester you. Do oh. you remember Do you remember when you spent like a quarter of a recording session talking about Petra and uh, stained glass <laughs> mm-hmm. in uh-huh. the Springwood? That was Because like, cool. it's the same thing. Like I, di- I literally did do the research because I was interested in it in it and the fact that y'all have interest in it too like fills me with joy let me go let in my cat and i will pester you with questions huh? <sighs> like i i now just like the like the idea that we just stand up here pestering this guy of about the ship the entire time that we were sailing <laughs> then <off>. you arrive. <laughs> i have an answer to our question 
Um, first, solely based on its position, Sigma Octanus could be considered the south star, but unlike Polaris, it is too dim to be conveniently seen as a celestial reference. Um, however, the Southern Cross, the crux, um, does in, in the same way that like the Big Dipper points toward the North Star, does generally point to where the South Star would be. So you can use the Southern Cross to figure out where Due South is, but it's not quite as exact as like, okay, there's the Big Dipper, there's Polaris. It's a little, a little bit more vague. And has me thinking about the distance, but in a in a really the song by Cake. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I I enjoy that. Song We've sung it together, you and me. Joe, dumb, dumb, uh, probably dumb lore question. I should probably know this in D and D. This is probably pretty standard. Is there a lot of like dragonborn racism where they like <laughs> like hate? Like the the chromatic, because you said like Tiamat favors the the chromatic the chromatic ones and Bahamut favors favors the metallic ones. Do they like have problems with each other? Even like on okay, yeah. historically, so, uh, yes. In particular, on the cusp, uh, if you remember from whenever we uh, did our lore episode, not this past year, but the year before that. Um, <laughs> Yet another example of Zach's incredible memory of um, everything we yeah, do. We, you we know, like about last how year the, when we did yeah, it, like, the uh, king <laughs> of Zadal is a giant gold dragon, gold dragon and he f- specifically favors the metallic mm-hmm. uh, dragonborn and uses them as his uh, barons throughout the the land of Zadal. And chromatic dragonborn are basically like not even they're like lower class citizens uh, are kind of oh, cast out of society. Neat. File that away for later. I must have missed or like misheard at some point and just like filled in the gap after dragon with like dragonborn and there, so just now realized that there's an actual that dragon. Is so cool. There is there, an actual dragon. There so are also I, dragonborn. I, I believe here. most of the crew is dragonborn. Yeah. But yes. there is also a bronze dragon that is acting as the guardian against other attacks from other dragons. Yeah. Yes, yes. The, pl- the player just put that together after he like said we have a dragon with us <laughs> oh joe yeah, said that earlier that there was just like a dragon chilling up there well, i know they said it but right. like my brain filled in dragonborn because there are dragonborn on the ship so i was just like oh yeah there's a bronze dragonborn but there's also a bronze dragon 